0: Oral questions by members.
1: Leader of the Official Opposition.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, after seven years, the NDP's middle class squeeze has made BC now the most unaffordable province in the entire country. And it's getting worse every day. Housing starts are now plummeting. Major housing starts and projects are grinding to a halt. And future homes are vanishing, Mr. Speaker, as sales of undeveloped residential land have dropped off a cliff by 85% over the last 15 months. Now to add to the failure of this Premier's housing flub, most recently we've seen the loss of over 400 potential affordable housing units promised at the 104 Plaza in Surrey. So, To recap, we've got a 36% increase in provincial bureaucracy, we've doubled our provincial debt we're facing the highest projected deficit in the history of the province of British Columbia, all helping to drive inflationary construction costs while decimating housing supply. Is this the how the Premier defines success in housing?
2: Here, here.
1: Minister of Housing.
3: Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and certainly uh, um, I would agree with the member that there's challenges that we're facing here in British Columbia. I would agree that some people are facing uh, challenges when it comes to housing. Uh, Two decades of underinvestment in housing, uh, welcoming 240,000 people to British Columbia. We simply have not been building enough housing to meet that demand. The member mentions uh, a specific project in Surrey, which we were uh, providing financing to. Uh, And of course, I'm sure the member knows that the rising interest rates, the actions taken by the Bank of Canada, are having real impacts on projects Not-for-profit projects, private sector projects, and and folks are having to make decisions. Certainly that's why we've been advocating, urging, hoping that the Bank of Canada doesn't continue to raise the rates because it's having a real impact not only... Not only having an impact on families and their budgets, Honorable Speaker, but also having an impact on, on housing starts. Now, the member is correct to say that housing starts have come down a little bit, but I would also highlight to the member they're still significantly higher than when he was the Minister of Finance
1: Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental.
0: Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, I've got a message for the Housing Minister. Hope is not a plan. Uh, If you actually want to get results, uh, Mr. Speaker, this Housing Minister better figure out how the housing sector works. Because after seven years of this Premier and this Housing Minister's leadership, we've ended up with the most unaffordable housing in North America, the highest average rents in the entire country, and, to make it worse, a growing maze of NDP red tape that continues to add to the housing costs. I just want to refer the member to their Community Housing Fund application, which is supposed to be about affordable housing. This monstrosity comes in at almost 400 pages that will add about 30% to the cost of a typical affordable home. Now, it's no surprise, given this kind of nonsense, Mr. Speaker. That we've got only 15% of the 114,000 promised affordable homes that they were going to build that are actually open today. An undeniable housing flub. And as the size of the NDP bureaucracy explodes, they continue to deliver worse results right across the board. So, my question to the minister making housing affordable means making it less expensive. So, why would this premier continue to add unnecessary red tape and costs? to so-called affordable housing.
1: Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker.
4: You know, we've uh, we've had some uh, helpful debates in this place for British Columbians to understand where the different parties are on the issue of housing. And I don't think any illustrates better where we are and what the opposition has been doing in relation to the short-term rental legislation. Here they spend every every day they have, every opportunity they have, to drive a hole through to create loopholes for investors running private hotels in our province. Who are they? Who's? Members? We say 90 days, Honourable Speaker. They say 30. They say, well, what about uh, big events? We should do something about big Member. events. Premier, hold it. Please. You know, I would love to see the other side stand up at one point. I heard the leader of the opposition say the problem in this province is that tenants have too many rights, Honorable Speaker. I would love to hear the other side. They're quiet now because I would love to hear them say something at some point to support real people looking for a place to live, which our short-term rental legislation is going to do, which the speculation vacancy tax did in getting rid of vacant homes, and which are literally billions of dollars of investment in affordable housing that they voted against every chance they had, is building for real people. And we're going to keep doing it, Honourable Speaker.
1: Leader of the Opposition, second oh. supplemental. Well,
0: thank you, Mr. Speaker. This coming from the condo king who sold his own condo two Member, Member, weeks before we saw Member. the new speculation tax. Right?
1: Let's be respectful. Using the words like condo king and all that, please try to word that. Okay. Thank you. Shh. Nothing.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, Well, the fact of the matter, Mr. Speaker, is the Premier, you'll notice, never talks about the actual results they're achieving. It always turns into this, it's got to be the federal government, maybe it's the the Bank of Canada governor, maybe it's the opposition from 15 years ago, but it's got to be anyone but his own record. Message to the Premier, you've been in power now for seven years. You own this. You've ended up with the highest housing affordability in North America. quote the actual housing minister himself who admitted, and I quote, every single project is going over budget, putting us further behind where we want to be by 2030 for all the targets that CMHC has set for us, end of quote. That's That's what happens, my friend, when your housing plan is built on hope, not reality. The highest rents, the worst housing affordability in North America. And now we've got Metro Vancouver saying let's triple the development cost charges so that ha- we'll hammer families with up to $24,000 in new taxes for every new home built. As a Premier, I can tell you this, I would block those outrageous tax hikes. Three weeks ago, I asked the Premier to make the same commitment. He dodged the question. So let's try this again. Will the Premier? Block the $24,000 fee hike that will crush families who just want the opportunity to get into affordable housing in British
4: Columbia. All questions and comments to the chair. Premier. Thanks, Honourable Speaker. You know, that member sat on this side of the House for a long time, and he was well aware, well aware of the lengthy and maze like processes of local governments. He didn't take any action. We're taking action on these things. We're setting housing targets for local government. We've got legislation coming. Stay tuned. To smooth and ease the process at the municipal level, provincial level, we've cut permit process times by 33% around housing. Hon. Speaker, we have 15 times more affordable housing underway today than when that member sat on this side of the house. We're opening affordable housing at three times the rate of their government when they sat on on this side of the house. It would have taken them 28 years to do what we've done in just six years. Purpose-built rental construction is up 650%, Honourable Speaker. Housing starts are up 70%, Honourable Speaker. Housing completions are up 50%, Honourable Speaker. Student housing in 16 years, they built 130 student beds. We built nearly 8,000 units, Honourable Speaker wants to talk about results they got. He wants to talk about results Member? they got when they were on this side of the house. Well, their finance minister managed to buy not one, not two, but three condos in the same building and flip them for almost a million dollars. speaker. That's the results.
1: Member for West Vancouver-Capilano.
5: Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. That is a hard act to follow. I would uh, hope that uh, uh, I, I, I'm not going to act, members. Mr. I, I, Mr. Speaker. This is not an act on this side. We want. We're asking hard questions that the other side does not answer. project that's a poster child for the Premier's failure to cut through taxes and red tape and fees, it's their hopelessly delayed yet supposed flagship affordable housing and treatment centre at First and Clark in Vancouver. So five years delayed, not a single shovel in the ground, and costs have more than doubled to $109 million. Now, Mr. Speaker, this is just another housing flub in a long line of failures, stuck in a web of taxes and NDP red tape. Five years ago, zero progress, costs more than doubled. So this is a real question, Mr. Speaker, a real question that needs a real answer. A real answer. When will the project actually be built by this minister?
3: of Housing? Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, you know, any day that— <laughs> The comedian from Camloops has some
1: comments. Honourable speaker,
3: um.
1: member, member. Uh, right, I ask both sides to be respectful, please. I understand. Both sides. Thank you, Honorable Speaker. Uh, you know, certainly
3: we've uh, highlighted already. There's some people that are facing real challenges. Now, the members across the way make it sound like Vancouver didn't have the highest rents in 2016 when they were on this side of the house, Honorable Speaker. They did have the highest rents in the country, Honorable Speaker. We've seen British Columbia is a desirable place. People come here because there's an opportunity here, Honorable Speaker. People come here because we have the strongest economy. Now, what's difference between uh, when they were on this side and when we are on this side is that we are actually funding
6: p- members.
1: Members,
3: their time. It's your time. The difference is we're making actual investments in affordable housing. The member will know that, the Leader of the Opposition will know that, when he was just recently in Mission posting tweets about uh, a project that actually got funding from the province. Honourable Speaker. Yeah, he was actually visiting places
7: that got funding from us.
3: I uh, I can list off all the projects in the members' communities that we're funding because we want to make sure there's affordable housing for people that desperately need in our communities and we're going to continue to do that important work.
1: Member West Vancouver, Capilano Supplemental.
5: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I think I'm going to have to look at the transcript now to see where in that answer uh, there was even the slightest uh, uh, relevance to the question that I asked. So enough talk. Where are the shovels in the ground? Les, stuck in a shelter for four years, is waiting for this project under the NDP in Metro Vancouver, is waiting for this project and warns, quote, Any day I could become homeless again." BC's homelessness, as you know, is at an all-time high, skyrocketing 34% under this NDP in Metro Vancouver alone. With record-breaking deficits, the NDP delivers nothing but record-low results. So this is a question. Every single promise, every single deadline for this project, this project, Broken by the NDP. So when will this project actually be built? Uh,
3: Minister Housing. thank you, Honorable Speaker. And uh, you know the, the member talks about results. I'll share some results for the members.
0: Oh,
7: <laughs>
3: Fifty-eight new affordable rental homes for families just opened in Victoria. 24 just opened up in Powell River, 20 new affordable homes in Burnaby, 55 Campbell River, 58 affordable rental units right now just opened in Vancouver last month, 43 opened up last month in Burnaby, 62 opened up in August in Nanaimo, 36 in Prince George last month. Kamloops had another 14 open up in August. Vernon had 48. Honorable Speaker, Vancouver had another 60 open up in in July. Honorable Speaker, I've got pages and pages of how many openings we're seeing throughout the province. So, Honorable Speaker, you know, if they had a record of actually building affordable housing, I would take their questions more seriously, Honorable Speaker.
1: For two months,
3: Members? Yeah.
1: Members?
3: They've got a short memory, honourable Speaker. They've forgotten when their housing minister on that side said to people who couldn't find affordable housing in their community, if you can't afford it, simply move. We are taking a different approach, honourable Speaker. We're going to continue to do that important work.
1: House Leader of Third Party.
8: Mr. Speaker, health care continues to be a top priority uh, of my constituents. Uh, on this minister, health minister's watch, Uh, The emergency room on the Saanich Peninsula is closed indefinitely in the evenings and walk-in clinics are closed or closing. On Salt Spring, there is a critical lack of family doctors, no walk-in clinics, no UPCC or the long-promised team-based primary care network. So the ER at Lady Minto becomes uh, the de facto health care for all. On Saturna, residents are in a frustrating health care bureaucratic vacuum. This minister celebrates spending more money and gets worse results. It's my constituents and the people who are working on the front line that are paying the price. Through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Health, when is he going to admit his approach to delivering the results for the people of of this province uh, is not working?
9: Minister of Health. Well, uh, Thank you, Hon. Speaker. Uh, Last year, we put in place a Health Human Resources Plan. One that is delivering for British Columbians, more than 5,300 more registered nurses, registered this, more nurses I should say, registered this year with the College of Nurses, not my statistics, the facts, the facts from them. 564 uh, international medical graduates approved this year, 66 primary care networks in British Columbia, and supports for communities across BC, there are challenges. There are challenges in many communities, but the way to resolve those challenges is to increase the level of staffing uh, across our system, to recruit more nurses and to retain more nurses by supporting them in the workplace. And that's precisely what we're doing in his community and across BC. Member Supplemental.
8: Access to healthcare is not improving in my communities. Access to healthcare is getting worse in my communities. And from what I'm hearing from British Columbia and communities, right across this province. This morning, the government caucus heard about, uh, from the nurses about the dangerous impact that staffing shortages uh, is having uh, in their workplace. I've heard how chronic nursing shortages have left patients unattended, seniors are left stranded in their beds with no access to washroom or shower facilities, families are hiring private care aides for their loved ones in hospital. My office is managing way more files than we should be. That should be dealt with by the patient quality care offices, but yet no results there. Patients are unnecessarily filling hospital beds because doctors are reluctant to release them back into the community because there's no care for them there. Hospital staff have approached me exasperated, devastated, traumatized, and fearful of speaking out because they don't believe this minister when he says they're free to speak without reprisal. In 2016, The ministry spent $17.95 billion on health care. In 2022, same ministry, different minister, $26.38 billion. Yet somehow, we have worse results. My question, through you, Hon. Speaker, is to the Premier. The health minister spends more money for worse results. It isn't working. At what point will this Premier say, enough is enough?
9: Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you, Hon. Speaker, and uh, I, I did meet with nurses this morning. And British Columbia is leading North America, one of the leading jurisdictions in the world, in in establishing nurse-to-patient ratios. We're doing that by working with nurses, by developing plans and programs, working with them to recruit more, and they're having some success. And those are directly funded. The member will know that. In our agreement with the Government of Canada, $750 million for nurse-to-patient ratios over the next three years and in our collective agreement. More funding for nurses, for education, for leadership, more funding for um, opportunities for laddering in nurse communities, more funding and support, $60 million to support nurses in the workplace, Honourable Speaker, to support issues and challenges that they're facing in the workplace. This is practical. Tangible action. And we're not doing it as we did with doctors. We're not doing it on our own. We're doing it by working with nurses. And that is the way to get solutions for patients, Speaker. So, members, that's the last two questions, the last two answers.
1: The fine example how the question was asked, everybody listened to, and how the answer was provided. <laughs> House Leader of the Fourth Party. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Please. Let's continue. Let's continue. Member has the floor.
10: Member. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, our Conservative Party caucus met with the British Columbia Agricultural Council. Mr. Speaker, we heard loud and clear. B.C. farmers are concerned about the rising cost of locally grown food. We're one of the highest-cost jurisdictions in North America for farming. B.C. farmers want B.C. families to pay less and get more farm-to-table, locally-grown, healthy food. To the NDP Minister of Agriculture, can she name three pieces of red tape or taxes, just three that are out of date, unnecessary, or could be cut or reformed by this NDP government to find savings for British Columbia families and our farmers.
1: Minister of Agriculture.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Member, for the question. Mr. Speaker, farmers in BC have faced rising business costs and we know this is also happening across Canada and beyond in multiple sectors. And this is precisely why I spent much of the past several months travelling around the province, speaking with uh, farmers and ranchers so I could understand how my ministry could best support them. We've made an historic $200 $200 million investment into programs designed to support producers based on their unique needs. Programs that are working. This past summer, we have provided 186 farmers with over $7 million in targeted advance payments through our AgriStability program. We have also now secured an agri-recovery package working with the federal government that provides financial assistance to farmers who faced extraordinary expenses due to this summer's (coughs) drought and wildfires. And many times yesterday, we were thanked for that.
1: Thank you, Minister.
7: In July, we requested the federal government to allow ranchers in flood or drought impacted areas to defer a portion of their sale proceeds to the following tax year.
1: Thank you, Minister. Thank you. Member has supplemental.
10: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let me say to the minister what we heard from farmers was carbon tax, fuel tax, and ALR reform. Mr. Speaker, yesterday we were also told by B.C. chicken farmers that the NDP's policy of reducing rodenticides in chicken farms and food processing plants will lead to an explosion of rodents, hugely increasing the risk of salmonella outbreaks. To the NDP Minister of Agriculture, why is this government putting British Columbians at risk by allowing the rodent population to boom?
4: Premier, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. I uh, I, w- I wanted a chance uh, uh, to respond to this because uh, I uh, met with a number of farmers uh, in Boundary Country, um, and uh, yesterday got to meet with the uh, the leaders from uh, from the industry, and and they're being hit really hard by climate change, Honourable Speaker. And uh, and I and I know. Uh, that the member standing to ask that question and his party are struggling really hard with whether or not climate change is real. Uh, I'll, I'll read a quote from the leader of the Conservative Party. This is from an article, CBC asked directly if he believes climate change is real caused by humans. The leader of the Conservative Party declined to answer, quote, I know you asked a very specific question, but at this point I'm not prepared to answer that question, unquote. Now, If we want to support our farmers, I would start by recognizing that climate change is real. That our farmers are hurting and they need support, which is why we worked with the Feds to get $77 million for those farmers hurt by wildfire, hurt by drought. And that's why we're going to continue to work on supporting farmers. And I would encourage your party to figure out your position on climate change because farmers know it's real, and so should you.
1: Opposition House Leader.
3: A week ago, during question period, the Minister of Emergency Management dropped a bombshell saying that more than 7,000 artefacts, some dating back as far as 7,500 years, have been discovered in Lytton. This revelation came as a complete surprise to Indigenous and non-Indigenous people alike, including to the Mayor of Lytton, who only learned of it through a YouTube video from the B.C. Legislature. My uh, question to the Minister is this. What is the process and timelines for residents to be informed about any artifacts discovered on their property? When will they learn if rebuilding is possible or not? And can the Minister confirm that the province will fully compensate those impacted by fees related to the discovery of these
6: artifacts? Minister of Forests. Thank you very much, Minister, and thank the member for the question. Uh, everyone recognizes that the wildfire that, or the fires that devastated Lytton were unprecedented in c- terms of completely wiping out the town, its entire infrastructure. Rebuilding has been a slow process and a very frustrating one. I acknowledge that. But the, the architectural or the archaeological remains that have been discovered there date back 7,000 years. Uh, the town at the confluence of the Thompson and Fraser Rivers has been a historic settlement place for indigenous people for, for millennia. The town itself was built on top of an ancient village, and when the reconstruction began, the, uh, the, art, the requirements of the Heritage Conservation Act required that these, uh, the, the site be explored for archaeological remains, and that has indeed been done. uh, Some of the results were communicated uh, June 15th uh, uh, in a a town hall meeting uh, saying that ancestral remains had been discovered there and that process continues. I met yesterday uh, by video with the Mayor of Lytton and uh, she has made some suggestions about how we might better achieve uh, a a satisfactory result and, and more progress in rebuilding. Member for Caribou Chilcotin.
0: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Slow would certainly be an understatement. It's been 847 days since the fire. Not a single home has been rebuilt in Lytton. During a recent community meeting, this government showcased a slide that outlined a staggering 42 steps ranging from permits and forms to a labyrinth of committees that individuals must navigate according to the archeology span branch's convoluted protocols. Given last year's 11,000 permit backlog and a staggering 255-day average wait time for archaeological permit processing, what concrete timelines can residents of Lytton expect for their archaeological
6: assessments? Minister. Thank you very much. Again, in the meeting with the mayor yesterday, she confirmed that there are approximately 20 uh, homeowners, uh, property owners, who are expecting to rebuild and will begin uh, very shortly. So the process has been long, it has been frustrating, but we are making progress, and certainly that's something that the Mayor of Lytton acknowledged.
1: Member for Cambridge and North Thompson.
2: Well, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let's be clear Indigenous and non Indigenous communities across this province want to know what is next if something is found. Be it in Lytton, be it in Oak Bay, where there is tons of historical Lekwungen sites? What happens if somebody has a fire and has to rebuild an individual home? Will they be subject in Oak Bay, where the Indigenous Relations Minister lives, to the same conditions? And then what happens if an artifact is actually found? No one is disputing that archaeological work has to happen. But what has happened under this government? is an incredible delay in backlog on the processing of the findings and whether or not People A will be allowed to build on a site where something has been found. What happens next once something is found? Indigenous communities can't say. Municipalities can't say. And this province refuses to say. So the question to this government is, with 11,000 permits backlogged at the archaeological branch, with an average of 255 days of processing time right now, that's the average, which means most are over 255 days. Homeowners, Indigenous and non-Indigenous in this province, simply want to know what is the next step by this provincial government when an artifact is found on somebody's property.
3: Here, here,
2: here.
6: Minister. The, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The Heritage Conservation Act mandates a certain process. Uh, when uh, disasters occur and its rebuilding is required so the the process that uh, Is in place is it takes time that's acknowledged, but the the findings uh, at Lytton were Unanticipated I don't think people understood the richness of the archaeological findings there one commentator called it one of the richest archaeological deposits in North America. So that, that process has been protracted, but uh, progress is being made. And uh, the mayor of uh, Lytton clearly acknowledged that yesterday in our conversation. The bell and the question period.